Welcome back, Geert. Uh, you were with us almost yeah, one year ago. And uh, we, yeah, we thought it was a good idea to invite you once more uh, to, yeah, first of all, look back at uh, the last, last year. Maybe first question, how are you? I, uh, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for, uh, for inviting me again. Uh, um, I'm fine, I think. <laughs> um, it has been a very rough ride. But uh, I have the luxury that I find rest and peace with my family, which is, which helps me a lot. Um, nobody's vaccinated. We don't have these discussions about, you know, uh, these tensions that many families uh, experience. So uh, when I get to work on the COVID crisis, I can be very concentrated. And then when I'm with my family, I, I can relax. Uh, so um, I think all in all, uh, it brought family and new friends together, which is um, yeah, uh, a very important compensation for uh, the stress that many of us have experienced over yeah. the last two, three years. Uh, but I th I, you see it, Ali, I, I see it, you were you're much more calm and, uh, than, than last year, because I remember uh, when we had our first uh, talk, a chat uh, episode with you, uh, you told me that you slept only two hours because mm. you were working out at a new paper, and uh, now you seem to be much more relaxed. Yeah, it's maybe a, bi a little bit misleading because I've been very much stressed as well to write the book that mm. I uh, just finished oh. because I uh, thought that what I was predicting could maybe happen before I finish the book. So I've been really also working almost, well, day and night is exaggerated, but certainly all weekends, all uh, days during the week to, to finish the book. And uh, now that it is finished, uh, yeah, I have decided to really take a break uh, where I will continue to do interviews and follow things. But um, it's it's less proactive, let's say. I will reply to demands, but uh, I will be less proactive in uh, initiating things myself. No, maybe we will directly look at the book, but maybe first look at and the episode last year um, because you gave a warning about what could possibly happen uh, with society. Uh, you were afraid that certain things could happen uh, but uh, we have to say luckily for now at least um, last months were not that bad or do you see that otherwise yeah well uh, I've been also <clears throat> being very Focal, I would say, on why I have been, um, well, not wrong with regard to my, my predictions, but with regard to the timeline of my predictions. And uh, it's only after I took a deep dive in better understanding how the virus interacts with the immune system that I finally got to understand that, in fact, the immune system had an opportunity to catch up to some extent to the virus because the virus is evolving much faster than the immune system can adapt to the situation. But nevertheless, with the advent of Omicron, the immune system had an opportunity 
to catch up to some extent, which has delayed, in fact, my predictions. That is one thing. The other thing is that the current situation is extremely misleading, and I continue, I continue to pretend that what we are experiencing right now is the silence before the tsunami, because, first of all, when we start with the unvaccinated, the unvaccinated have now experienced a lot of exposures to many, many different variants. In most people who are in good health and who have been living more or less a normal life, have not been uh, you know, locking themselves up in a kind of concrete bunker, these people have been exposed so many times to all these variants that their natural immunity is so well trained that I'm convinced that the unvaccinated who are in good health will no longer suffer from any kind of uh, coronavirus illness, uh, SARS-CoV-2 illness. So the unvaccinated, they started off in a less favorable situation because remember, at the beginning of the vaccination, those that were best protected against disease were the vaccinated. And the unvaccinated got, you know, more frequently the disease. But as the virus evolved, as the immune system evolved, this balance has now changed. One must say, however, that there is still an immune mechanism that almost nobody understands that is still protected protecting the vaccinated people as well, that is protecting them from severe disease, that is even protecting them from disease. Many of the vaccinated people that I know right now, in terms of COVID, we are not talking about other diseases like influenza, like other secondary diseases that they may get because of maybe some immune suppression, but in terms of COVID, they are, most of them are doing pretty well as well. So uh, there is the frequency of disease has diminished, uh, you know, even uh, hospitalizations have diminished, etc. amongst the, the vaccinees. And I've been studying this immune mechanism, the immune mechanism by which vaccinees are now protected against severe disease and disease, which is very unusual because, first of all, we all know the neutralizing antibodies do no longer work. The, vaccine, the, the virus has become resistant to the neutralizing antibodies. That is kind of amazing because we know that for all those viral diseases that are, according to the textbook, acute self-limiting, that means you get the, the virus, you get the infection, the disease, but at some time you clear the virus. You eliminate the virus from your body, it's completely elim eliminated, you recover from the disease, you get your immunity, etc. Uh, for this type of, of uh, diseases, uh, normally neutralizing antibodies protect you and that is sufficient. And all of these, the vaccines that target acute self-limiting viral infections are based on neutralizing antibodies, but they are prophylactic. Eh? So you have the neutralizing antibodies before you get exposed and then the neutralizing antibodies catch the virus, neutralize it, and uh, you don't get uh, the, the disease. Now we have a situation where this mechanism does no longer work. The virus, the Omicron uh, descendants that are circulating right now are resistant to the neutralizing antibodies. That is one thing. On the other hand, the virus has become more infectious. 
So the infection rates that we read like uh, right now, that we we you know we we, we get to see in the statistics, etc., are tremendously underestimated because there is much less testing, because also symptoms are milder, there is less need for testing, etc. And um, but infection rates are high. The virus is still very infectious. The neutralizing antibodies do no longer protect. Nevertheless. We see that these vaccinees eh, who are having these antibodies that are no longer protecting are still protected, not only against severe disease, but even against disease. And so, so do you the, think that uh, the vaccinated persons should get tested more than or isn't that what you no, say? No, uh, I'm, I'm not giving uh, a recommendation. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to explain why the situation right now is so insidious and misleading. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, the unvaccinated are better and better protected, but also the vaccinees are pretty well protected as far as COVID-19 is concerned against severe disease and even against disease. But what I'm saying and what I'm explaining, all I have explained this before, I've uh, explained this again in, in my book, is that this type of immunity of the vaccinees is very fragile, that it, it will be temporary, short-lived, that it will be overcome by the virus. It cannot tame the virus sufficiently to prevent the virus from further developing and evolving to ultimately overcome this weak type of immunity. But as long as this doesn't happen, as long as this more virulent variant is not emerging, yes, we are dealing with a situation that is very unusual, unprecedented, never ever described before in biology or, or during pandemics, where we have a situation where the vaccinees are protected against severe disease, against disease. The same for the unvaccinated, but let's be very clear, these two immune mechanisms by which the vaccinees and the unvaccinated are protected are completely different. And the unvaccinated are protected by training because of continuous exposure to the variants. That is a durable, a durable immunity, very robust, Since this is to a large extent based on innate immunity, it's also non-variant specific. Mm -hmm. It can deal with all the different variants. The immunity that, that the vaccinated people need to rely on is very fragile. It will be temporary and it will be overcome by the virus. So that is a very fragile situation and that will change in future. But as long as this is not the case, We are dealing now in society with a situation where there is fewer cases, where uh, also, of course, the measures have been relaxed and people think we are getting back to a more or less normal situation. Our health officials are even pretending that the virus is now in the process of transitioning to endemicity. Eh, because we would, so to say, have herd immunity, which is a complete nonsense, because one of the typical features of herd immunity is that you diminish the infection rate in the population, which is not at all the case, as I was just saying. So the situation right now 
is completely misleading. And certainly if people don't understand, which is for me the biggest gap, the biggest gap in the misunderstanding and the misinterpretation of the pandemic is that there is an enormous gap in the knowledge, in the immunology. The immunology behind this pandemic is not understood. And if you don't understand the underlying immunological drivers for the immune escape, etc., and you just look like our experts are, are doing at what is happening right now in society, then you see, yes, the uh, rate of hospitalization is decreasing, infection rates are, you know, pretty normal because they are largely underestimated. And there is, you know, very few uh, vaccinees who die or who develop uh, severe disease due to COVID, let's be very clear, and due to, to, uh, to COVID-19. We know that there are more hospitalizations because of other diseases that to a large extent are most likely uh, indirectly induced by the vaccination because of immune suppression and all these type of things. But in terms of COVID-19, so it's pretty, it's pretty calm. And that is what I'm calling the calm, the silence before the tsunami. Because if you look at what the virus is doing, the virus continues to evolve like hell. And there are peer-reviewed journals <clears throat> of, you know, mutation spotters uh, who are uh, clearly saying in peer-reviewed journals that this situation is alarming. Because what no um, health official will tell you is where this is going. If things are dramatically evolving, it's important to know, is this going into a very benign direction where ultimately the immunity of the population will control the virus? This is beyond unlikely because there is no herd immunity, as I was saying. Or is this virus maybe now struggling to overcome the immune pressure that the population is putting on the virus, which we know is too weak to control the virus. And if that is the case, which I'm completely convinced of, and I think I have brought together sufficient arguments in my book to unambiguously demonstrate that this is the case, then the situation is very, the threat is imminent. And it's, it's a very, very worrisome situation. It's not obvious clinically, if you like, and that is why I'm saying that society in highly vaccinated countries, not in Africa, will be caught by surprise. And in other <coughs> parts in the world where they use a different type of vaccine, does it make a change of or not? Well, this is uh, also one of the questions I've uh, been dealing with uh, very extensively in my book, <coughs> that is... We can elaborate on this more in detail, but in, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. uh, I've shown and um, in my book that uh, there is a high likelihood. For me, it's scientifically so convincing that for me it is certain that especially the mRNA vaccines are expediting or accelerating the immune escape much more than other than the other vaccines. So that's Pfizer and Moderna? Eh? It's Pfizer and Moderna, yeah. No. But, no. you know, uh, since I'm not becoming personal or in my book, I'm ju just looking no. at this from a scientific viewpoint yes. that the mechanism by which the mRNA vaccines induce the in vivo synthesis of the protein 
is such that the immune system reacts to this in a different way as compared to when the S-protein is produced as a subunit or a virus-like particle or an inactivated uh, virus and is then injected into the body where, in fact, the antigen is already existing in the formulation of the vaccine before you inject it, in contrast to the mRNA vaccines where the factory, so to say, the human cell, the human body, because the spike protein that is the antigen is synthesized in the uh, cell that got transduced <coughs> sorry, by the uh, mRNA vaccine. So the mRNA vaccines are expediting the immune escape but other populations or populations that have been vaccinated with other vaccines, so non-mRNA vaccines, so the Russians and you China. will also have the, the oh. immune escape, but it will not proceed at the same pace as in populations that have been vaccinated with mRNA vaccines. So if you are right, then the biggest problems we will see in Europe the United States of America, Australia, or... Israel, for Israel. example, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very clear that uh, what I'm uh, predicting is most likely going to become much more manifest and much more earlier in, first of all, countries that have been highly vaccinated mm -hmm. and especially in those that have almost uh, exclusively been using uh, mRNA vaccines. And um, last year you made the same prediction. Um, can uh, do you now dare to put a date on it, or can no. it take? Can it be like two months, or can it also take two more years before we, we no, see this happen? I, well, yeah, that is that is very difficult. I've been. Uh, let, let me be very open about this. Um, of course, it's. In, in theory, it's very, very difficult to predict this because this thing, the evolution that we are seeing right now, has never happened before. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought at the beginning that uh, once the virus escapes, which has happened already with, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, the virus started already to escape, the biggest escape, the big bang has happened with Omicron, where all of a sudden, puff, there were over 30 mutations. In, in the spike protein that uh, enabled Omicron to, to, you know, largely escape to the neutralizing antibodies induced by, uh, by, the, by the vaccine. So I thought initially that once the virus starts to escape, you know, I mean, when you escape and you get some advantage compared to, you know, the immune system chasing you, this advantage becomes bigger and bigger and it's almost like, you know, uh, has an exponential course. So I thought it would go very, very fast. This was at a time where I had not realized, I could not realize, nobody could realize this. Even up till today, people don't understand what happened. But with Omicron, you will remember that many vaccinees, despite being vaccinated, got the disease, got the disease with Omicron, for example. Remember, you know, when we had Omicron, the vast majority of these highly vaccinated populations or the populations where the mass vaccination was really pushed were already to a large extent vaccinated. 
Nevertheless, many vaccinees, even young people, remember last summer, for example, got the disease, right? And so that is what we call uh, vaccine breakthrough infections. So that means that despite being vaccinated, the virus breaks through the immunity conferred by the vaccine. And that has a dramatic consequence. This provokes um, a phenomenon that is very well known in vaccinology, but it has never been described during a pandemic. And it is called immune refocusing. So in very simple terms, because, you know, I'm still trying to respond to your question uh, with regard to the, to the prediction whether the situation has changed, etc. I'm trying to explain why the situation has only aggravated, but why my predictions in terms of the timeline were to some extent wrong, because I did not realize that when you have a vaccine breakthrough infection with Omicron, so in a vaccinated person, you induce a new type of immunity. In fact, I'm not going, it's all explained in my book, but I'm not going to go into the molecular detail, but what it comes down to is that a vaccine breakthrough infection forces the immune system to focus on other domains of the spike protein and will develop immunity to these other domains of the spike protein. To some extent, that is very interesting because these other domains enable the immune system to induce cross-neutralization across several different variants. But the problem is that this immunity is very weak. So it will, at the beginning, it will induce neutralization. And the vaccinees that got Omicron, the immunity that they developed after having, been, after having experienced an Omicron infection was almost like sterilizing. It was prevent protecting against infection and certainly against disease. That is where many of our health officials were like saying Omicron is a blessing mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, Omicron is not only causing mild disease, it is like a boost for the vaccines. Look, the people who got Omicron are now even protected against disease and even against productive infection. And so what they didn't realize, because they don't understand the immune, the mechanism of immune refocusing, is that the immune system reacts to domains that are only able to induce weak immunity. When you say weak immunity, you immediately know that it is easy for the virus to overcome. And you have seen, once Omicron appeared, within the weeks, few weeks and months thereafter, we had a panoply of subvariants of Omicron that were more infectious and that were able to escape the immunity that had been induced by this vaccine breakthrough infections. Why? Because that immunity was insufficient, was too weak. It was very spectacular at the beginning, but it waned very, very rapidly, giving the virus an enormous chance to even expedite immune escape. But this period during which we had better protection because of the vaccine breakthrough infections, because of, you know, this initial immunity protected against productive infection product, uh, and against disease, gave the immune system, so to say, a break in a sense that the immune system could to some extent catch up. Because if you can 
curtail productive infection, you will curtail transmission, and you will slow down, of course, the evolution of the virus. But so this is the reason why um, my predictions were, in fact, or the timeline, I I largely, I largely, uh, in fact, underestimated um, the timeline uh, within which the more virulent variants would appear. I thought once the virus escapes, the immune system is lost. Seems like the immune system could still have this catch-up, you know, maneuver thanks to the vaccine breakthrough infections. And therefore, the whole thing got now, in fact, delayed. But at the end of the day, what happened is that the immune escape got only expedited. That's why we are seeing still, like, you know, these very different variants um, that are derived from Omicron, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, the, the B, BQ1, uh, BB, etc., all these, uh, these, new, uh, these new variants com- coming up. And uh, those are still uh, further evolving. And you can see that in countries where uh, XBB15, etc., appear, they start to dominate and they start to supplant the, the, uh, the other ones. So it remains to be seen where this evolution is going to end. But um, it's very clear from my analysis that uh, the further expansion of these uh, variants is only putting more immune pressure on the virus, an immune pressure that is caused uh, by the immune reaction that I was talking about just a few minutes ago, this weak immune response that prevents vaccinees from developing severe disease or even disease, that now the virus is working on to overcome this. So it's very, very, very complex. It's certainly not easy to understand. But I think the key message here is that people do realize that these interactions between the virus and the immune system are evolving. The virus is evolving. The immune system, we call this the adaptive immune system, the B cells, the T cells, are kind of like adapting to that situation. The virus again reacts to that. The more pressure you put, the more you try to defend yourself, the more the virus is going to become, so to say, inventive and will overcome this. And it is very important that people understand that this is something dynamic. It's not like our experts are saying, guys, this is the situation. And and no, it's not. It's evolving all the time. What applies today does not necessarily apply tomorrow. This is evolving. It's very complex. It is a kind of um, balance that has been severely disturbed by human intervention and that nature is trying to correct in, you know, the best ways it can, but certainly, certainly trying to give the virus an opportunity to continue to survive for as long as possible. You can imagine if you have an immune response that all of a sudden Uh, fails completely, like I was predicting at the beginning where I thought once the virus uh, is is escaping, the immune system can no longer catch up and it it will immediately lead to a dramatic situation. In that case, the virus could, so to say, kill large parts of the population, could no longer survive. 
As a matter of fact, what is happening is that nature is shaping these things in a way that immunity can catch up to some extent. So the virus will not be able to proceed very rapidly with, you know, causing severe disease, etc., which leaves the virus an opportunity to replicate because there is still the population, large parts of the population that are surviving. And so it can extend and prolong its survival and ensure its perpetuation, so to say. But of course, I think everybody needs to understand that this system has its limits and we are now coming very close to the limits of this system where the immune system will no longer be able to catch up and the virus will simply break through it, right? For vaccinated people. For the vaccinated people, because as I was saying, this immunity that is now, so to say, protecting them and where our health authorities are trying to make people believe that this is either a combination of you being a vaccinee, having been exposed to the virus and or being vaccinated, what they call hybrid immunity, eh, which is, you know, sounds very, very sexy. <laughs> hybrid is always good. You get, you know, both parts. You get the best of natural immunity. You get the best of the vaccine. So you guys should be in very, very good shape. But if you ask them, tell me, what are the components of this hybrid immunity? How exactly does that work? They cannot explain this because they do not understand the phenomenon of immune refocusing that was initially very beneficial. It even protected vaccines again, uh, again against productive infection, mm. which was something that had already been lost before. But they do not realize that this temporary benefit ultimately allowed Omicron to accelerate the immune escape and, you know, is now, in fact, leading to a situation that is much worse in terms of immune escape than the situation uh, we had before. So this, so to say, hybrid immunity is, is very, very misleading. It is not a robust immunity, on the contrary, whereas the unvaccinated, they have gotten a difficult time at the beginning. And most of us got, you know, the disease. And, and, uh, and I'm always saying... Well, and I even a couple of times. Yeah. I think I had three or four Absolutely. times. Absolutely. And I oh. continue to say, I continue to say what is happening right now is that with this expedited development of the variants, we have gotten a burden of variants like we never had before. Normally during, for example, influenza, Every season, you can have a new variant, etc. Your immune system catches up with this. You can get the disease, etc. But now we literally got one variant and still after the other. And this has been an enormous burden for the unvaccinated. But the miracle, this is really a miracle of nature. Your natural immunity can cope with this, can deal with this, even if it has to deal with a number of variants that are so numerous You, you normally would not expect this number of variants to occur within one, two or three years. You would expect those variants to occur within maybe thousand years. Uh, nevertheless, your natural immunity can deal with this. And it's not because you get a disease and you are ill. That this is a sign or an indication that your immune system cannot deal with it. Because let's not forget, 
Getting ill is normal. It's a normal phenomenon. Getting severely ill, having to be, you know, if you need to be hospitalized, that is not normal. Dying from it is not normal. And that we got, you know, several, as unvaccinated, several infections, maybe interspaced with just a few months. The, the cause of this is simply that, you know, the highly vaccinated populations have been breeding a number of variants unprecedented, never seen before that started to dominate. And this has been an enormous burden for the unvaccinated. But the reward that you're getting right now is that this immune system is now so well armed against those variants because what will happen, I'm also describing this in my book, is that the new variants that will evolve towards more virulent variants will not become more infectious. So the unvaccinated have already prepared their immune system, their natural immunity for more infectious variants. If now the variant is becoming more virulent, that is not going to disturb the unvaccinated that trained their innate immunity, right? Of course, it will remain a problem for unvaccinated who have not been exposed to those variants. I think there is very few, but this would be typically because the variants were very infectious. So the likelihood that you got exposed as an unvaccinated, you know, is, was very, very high. Even if you were trying to avoid contacts, etc., it's almost like impossible. So there are very, very few people who have not been exposed. But you see, for example, the situation in China. They have tried to isolate people, not uh, uh, getting any contact. And then all of a sudden, you start to diminish these infection prevention measures to relax them. And as soon as they started this, within one week, you had already like, you know, a bombshell, an explosion of infections. So that is how infectious the virus is, how difficult it is to prevent uh, So to according prevent to you, infection. it was... A hell of a situation in China a few weeks ago. Yeah, but it's already diminishing, right? Ah. They, they, they have to catch up on, yeah. The, people had not the opportunity there, many people, to develop natural immunity, right? Which is, which is a disaster, which is now really protecting us. I'm always saying, and I keep saying, people who are best protected against SARS-CoV-2 infection are the unvaccinated in highly vaccinated countries because the highly vaccinated populations are breeding variants like hell. And so they circulate. And as an unvaccinated, you get exposed all the time, all the time. But this is so important. I'm always, I said this from the very beginning, as an unvaccinated, do not avoid contact. Do not mm -hmm. avoid contact because it's important that your immune system keeps training you know, to cope with this, with this uh, more variants. And then the second thing, which is also key, is that you have to make sure that you keep in and you stay in good health. I'm always, you know, giving the example of this weight lifter, right, who trains to lift this like, let's say, 100 kilogram. And then he has achieved this performance. He lifts this 100 kilogram above his head. But then... For example, one day he has a hangover, he got drunk, he didn't sleep. The next day he cannot lift his 100 kilograms, despite the fact that he's completely trained. So it's the combination of getting trained through exposure and keeping your, yourself in good health, that combination is now making the natural immunity 
of unvaccinated people in highly vaccinated countries so powerful that they will no longer, they get still maybe infected, can maybe develop very superficial symptoms, but no way that they will still get, you know, the typical uh, COVID-19 symptoms, let alone that they would need hospitalization. Nope. It's important to understand this, and I must say, Stephen, if there is one thing that I would like, if one somebody would ask me, Geert, summarize, the biggest issue, the biggest blunder that has been made during this pandemic by, you know, the, 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 the decisions, especially of the WHO and our health authorities who blindly follow this, is that we have been completely, or they have been completely underestimating the enormous power and capacity of natural immunity. Remember, if you have a natural pandemic, 90% or 90 of the population have asymptomatic infection. How does that come? Nobody has seen the virus before. So the population is, so to say, immunologically naive. Nevertheless, 90% of the population has mild symptoms or asymptomatic, you know, where does this immunity come from? This can only be, you know, innate immunity. And then once you have gotten the waves, one, two, three waves, you diminish the infection rate in the population, you completely control the virus, thanks to herd immunity. All this is due to natural immunity, which has been something that has been completely ignored Because once you start with vaccination, you, you do no longer stimulate the cell-based innate immunity, cell-based innate immunity that can eliminate a virus at an early stage of infection. And you simply rely on adaptive immunity, which we know, we knew already before Omicron, is not sufficient because the antigen in the vaccine do, does no longer correspond to the antigen that is circulating on the variants. And now it's even becoming worse because the adaptive immunity that is now built is no longer due to the vaccinal antibodies. As I was saying, the virus has been become completely resistant to these antibodies, but it's due to another type of antibodies. I'm also describing this in my book, non-neutralizing antibodies that provide the vaccinees with still some protection, but that is weak, uh, that is fragile, that will be overcome by continued virus evolution and that has nothing to do with robust, long-standing uh, memory, right? And, but as soon, as long as it is, you know, present, so to say, most people, including our health officials, are under the impression that Thanks, thanks to the vaccination and thanks to the exposure to the virus, we are now in the process of controlling this virus, you know, having herd immunity, whereas the bulk of the iceberg is under the water. So it's not seen by people. It's not seen by them because they don't understand, but it will, it will surface one day. The question is not whether this will happen. The question is, to your point, when it will happen, And to give, you know, a more concrete answer to your question, it's difficult to predict because I'm convinced 
that the mutations that are that will drive the virus towards a higher level of virulence will no longer be driven by changes in the amino acids that's the backbone of the spike protein but it is now driven by we call this glycosylation is the addition of more sugars on the virus spike protein nobody's talking about these sugars but you have to know that a large percentage of the surface of the spike protein 40 50% is covered by sugars and it's documented you will find this in every textbook of virology that the, the sugars the glycans are so important uh you know with regard to immunity you can imagine if you have a sugar chain that all of a sudden can shield a whole domain for example a whole domain of the virus of the spike protein and can by doing that by shielding it by masking it it can completely shield the virus from the immune response so it's a very very important phenomenon and that is what is currently going on right now how long it will take for this glycosylation to completely prevent or inhibit the kind of fragile immunity that is still in place in the vaccines that is difficult to say but um i cannot imagine really i cannot imagine that this would take another two years i it's it's difficult to say but if it happens tomorrow in one of these highly vaccinated countries especially as i was saying vaccinated with mrna vaccines i will would not be surprised if it would only occur within one year for example i would be very very much surprised but i remain convinced that no ma- no matter what society in highly vaccinated countries will be caught by surprise nobody is expecting this because if you don't understand the underlying immunology there is no reason right now for panicking as you were pointing out correctly and you know people feel better of course there are like other problems now popping up we hear about the avian flu we hear about other diseases like incidents of cancer we hear about excess mortality we hear about side effects etc what do you think about that the excess mortality well yeah i uh, i i think that the uh, excess mortality uh, well first not not i think this is a fact i mean it has now been documented in so many countries in people who are um, really doing the right statistics and uh, the right uh, analysis it's uh, it's not like it's just happening in one country it's a general uh, phenomenon we also know that uh, especially again the mrna vaccines are leading to uh, immune inflammation immune suppression uh, we hear about all this uh, you know even young people suffering from cardiac arrests or myocarditis etc et we hear about uh, uh, you know uh, an explosion of um, uh, turbo cancers where all of a sudden people who had you know uh, their cancer more or less under control it's uh, again reactivated and uh, 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 you know resurgence of this of these cases we hear about chronic viral infections uh, getting reactivated etc so all this is of course leading to a higher uh, mortality rate uh, these are typically people who uh, you know would be hospitalized or even die not 
from COVID-19, but with COVID-19 or with SARS-CoV-2 that are positive, uh, but are not dying directly from uh, COVID-19 disease. Uh, this is already happening. Uh, what I'm predicting is that this will change in a situation where people will die, will be hospitalized from COVID-19 once the virus has turned into a more virulent form. Because then we have a situation, we know already that the virus is resistant to our antibody or to the uh, to, to, to neutralizing antibodies. So this is similar to a situation where you have resistance to antibiotics. Uh, an antibody is an antibiotic, a natural antibiotic that is produced by your very own body. Yeah, so it's very similar. We all know if you have resistance against, uh, you know, antibiotics, uh, it's that, that is not a, a very good thing. But on top, the, uh, the, um, the fight, uh, the enemy we are trying to fight is becoming or is more infectious. So you have, we're dealing with highly infectious variants uh, that antibodies are no longer uh, functioning against. And then this even becomes, as I was saying, most likely through this glycosylation, more virulent. Then you can imagine that you're dealing with uh, a pretty catastrophic situation where things could go very, very fast. And that is my fear that when this happens, our healthcare system will be completely, completely overwhelmed and that this could have a domino effect on other layers, of course, of society due to people, you know, feeling insecure, panic breaking out. Uh, uh, and, and I think some, some of uh, our officials do not rule out that this could happen, even if they do not understand exactly what is happening. And I think that is the reason why some of them, it's just unbelievable, are still trying to do whatever they can to make vaccinees believe that there is still an advantage in being vaccinated because you can imagine the more this excess mortality becomes evident, the more side effects become documented and the more vaccinees see that people like we are no longer getting the disease that we are doing fine they start asking more and more questions. Was this worth doing all this, you know, getting jabbed three, four, five times uh, with, you know, colleagues of mine, family, relatives uh, uh, dying at the age of, you know, sometimes young, 40, 50 age, all of a sudden gone, etc., excess mortality. If they do not continue to, to try whatever they can to convince the vaccinees that there was still an advantage of getting vaccinated and that therefore they should repeat this, then I think we have a big crisis because if the vaccinees will realize that this was not the right thing to do, you know, I mean... But will they react according to you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Stephen, but... Um, you know, uh, for me, it's it's the question. You can speculate, and um, you can um, you can try to imagine what would happen if now more and more uh, vaccinees uh, become convinced that uh, this was uh, a completely 
failure operation. That this was a, a complete blunder. You can. It's difficult to imagine that this would not like unchain a kind of revolution. But I think I I cannot prove this. But uh, my gut feeling is that what I'm predicting will occur faster than you know the emotions and the discussions that will come up and even the political the political dis- discussions and decisions that will come up in society as a consequence of people realizing that this was a complete failure operation if you were right and it happens for instance in uh, of the the new vari- 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 variant will occur in let's say spain are lockdowns then a good tool for the governments to prevent the new variant which is in Spain comes to Belgium or uh, is it a stupid well, question? Uh, no, that is not a stupid question. That is not a stupid question. What will happen is that there will be panic, chaos. In such situation, you can imagine that they will try to do what they have been trying to do at the beginning of the pandemic where we were dealing, in fact, to be honest, with a pretty harmless virus. Mm-hmm. Of course, it had caused deaths and, and severe disease and disease, etc. But remember, the mortality rate was uh, primarily uh, in the higher mortality rate was primarily in, in layers of the population that were you know, struggling with underlying diseases, uh, comorbidities, um, immune suppression, etc. So um, the situation that I'm predicting would be much more severe in the sense that uh, I think that even early treatment would come too late because it will really be a very fulminant uh, because of the resistance, because of the higher level of infectiousness, because of the virulence. So uh, the lockdowns, I would not be surprised that they try to, you know, look up Everybody, because if you don't know what to do and if, you know, obviously the vaccines don't work and the antivirals do no longer work and, and you know, what, what you look up people, you say, oh, you, you stay where you are, you know. Uh, but the interesting thing is that I figured out that in the highly vaccinated countries, remember, all these highly vaccinated countries are experiencing the same problem, immune pressure put by the highly vaccinated population on the virus, but that is unable to tame the virus. So when the conditions in different countries are exactly the same for this virulent virus to emerge, you don't need this virus to spread. And it will not spread because per definition, if a virus is highly virulent, that means even that you get a lot of people who immediately get severe disease, who get hospitalized. These are not the people who are going to spread the virus. And certainly not the people who are dying are not going to spread the virus. But if the conditions in these different countries are the same, and as I was saying, for example, even if if countries have like, you know, of course, if you have 90% vaccine coverage rate and if you have, let's say, uh, almost like exclusively used mRNA vaccines and if you have not only boosted your people but then given also a fourth and a fifth injection, in those countries it will go much faster. But in the others it will simply follow, right? It will, you know, it may be at a lower pace 
the conditions are still the same. You are exerting, the population is exerting immune pressure on a virus that, you know, is allowed to further evolve. There is plenty of proof. To remember, that's it. This is not a lie, you know, in peer-reviewed publications. You know, uh, molecular epidemiologists are now qualifying the situation as being really alarming, right? So if you generate the same conditions, you know, you will get the same outcome. So in other words, these virulent or highly virulent variants can develop independently in countries that are experiencing the same type of high-level immune pressure exerted by the population. You don't need this virus to spread anymore. That is very, very different from the situation that we have been experiencing in the past. And what can a government do then? Well, yeah, I mean... That is also something I'm describing in my book because the question is, the que I, I always said, you know, there is only one question to ask here. How is this circus going to end? Where is this going to end? I mean, I'm not interested in all this post hoc analysis where, you know, people are saying, oh, yeah, the virus became more infectious, become more resistant, etc. This has no added value for society. The only thing that has added value for society is predictions and reliable predictions, predictions that are based on sound scientific grounds, because then you can prepare. The government is not prepared. I bet you that none of these health officials, including the WHO, is currently understanding what is going on. So you can imagine that even in this environment of not understanding what is going on, continuing to preach mass vaccination, right, and having millions of people involved in this program, I'm always saying, be scientists, don't use these words very lightly, but this is criminal. There is no doubt about this, this is criminal. And they don't know what they are going to do. Right. And the attention gets now distracted by all kinds of different things, by wars, by, you know, uh, climate problems, but now also by avian influenza, where, you know, now you can, I read today in the New York Times, right, okay, avian flu is now becoming a threat. We should mass vaccinate people. Mm -hmm. And if we, um, if we, if the WHO should make sure we get enough vaccine to vaccinate people against avian flu, they should, you know, um, they should consult with the rich countries and especially also with the pharmaceutical industry to make this happen. You see the dependence and, 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 and um, you know, the, uh, the helplessness of these organizations that have steered all this, that have initiated all this, uh, they don't know what to do and they will not be able to to solve the problem we have we have simply pushed it too far with omicron this has been a milestone with omicron the situation has become irreversible omicron because it is driving large scale immune escape it is driving acceleration of the immune escape it is self-fueling the further evolution of the virus. But is there somebody who understands the potential threat over there? Because it's your theory, and they, if they don't believe it, 
which is for the moment the case, then it's not criminal because they don't know. Or do you see it? Well, well, the, I'm, I'm glad that you are making this comment because, in fact, the most important goal for me of writing a book, I mean, I'm not interested in writing a book or really commercializing this or saying, you know, I, I'm part of history, I wrote a book, etc. But there is one thing, Stephen. I wanted this to be documented with the best scientific evidence and insights that I have, that I had already in the past, I, like many other people, have learned a lot because this is an, it's, 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 it's a little bit cynical to say this, but in terms of um, the science involved in this, this is just a unique, it is so rich, this phenomenon, it is, you know, scientifically enormously challenging. So we have all learned uh, a lot uh, during this pandemic. So I have given, I think, the very best of myself to gather the scientific justification of my prediction and everybody can challenge those. But what I wanted to do is to document this, to say, look, guys, because that is my conclusion, really, if there is one thing that was totally predictable based on scientific grounds is that the mass vaccination would have very detrimental consequences. And rather than just saying this in an interview or, you know, on a substack or whatever, I wanted to gather and collect all these pieces of the puzzle that I've been using and that I'm presenting in my book and that justify why I'm coming to these conclusions, you know, regardless of any kind. I'm not at all into sensation. That everybody, people can challenge this. But at least, I mean, I have been doing this homework of collecting these pieces of the puzzle. And I come to these conclusions that for me are more than convincing. And so nobody will ever be able to say, oh, wait a minute, this was completely unprecedented. Uh, nobody could predict this. We have done the very best we could. We have developed antivirals, the best vaccine, the best vaccine companies, etc. No, 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 no. There's one thing mankind has forgotten about, and that is biology. And that is what my book tells very, very clearly. We have become, you know, superstars in technologies, right? But we have forgotten about biology. We have completely ignored nature in this thing. We have been disturbing an equilibrium, a balance between the virus and the immune system. That is not just, you know, the case for coronavirus in general. These evolutions have been shaped over millions of years, this balance, to give the pathogen an opportunity to perpetuate without causing too much harm to the population. If you look at the population level, you know, I mean, it's sad to say if it's your dad, if, if this, you know, good friend of yours, it's, it's of course a catastrophe. But in fact, what a virus does during a natural pandemic is that it takes out of the population the weakest elements, right? I mean, my background is veterinary medicine. That is how we look at animal populations from an economical viewpoint, right? Um, so, in fact, this is something which, you know, from the viewpoint of nature, 
keeps a sound balance between a population and certain pathogenic agents. You could say, why does the population need so pathogenic agents? Well, these pathogenic agents also help to stimulate immunity of the population, etc. So it's very, very complex. It's very, very uh, sophisticated. But this is something which is very, which is because it's shaped, you know, evolution picks the best, you know, solution, the, the, the solution that is, you know, that enables the contributors to survive, right? So this is very different from just developing a technology. I mean, any technology needs to be validated anyway by the rules of biology. You make an airplane, but you neglect, you ignore the forces of gravity. Your airplane, your technology, forget about it. It needs to be validated by the rules of biology. Mm. Here, this aspect has been completely neglected. And if you look at the rules of immunology, virology, evolutionary biology, vaccinology, all these rules have been violated by mass vaccination. The principle of mass vaccination during a pandemic is violating all these rules, right? And I've been compiling all this evidence in, you know, as scientifically as possible, but looking at it from a holistic viewpoint in the sense of, I'm not just looking at this from an immunological viewpoint, but also, you know, virological view viewpoint, vaccinological viewpoint, evolutionary biology viewpoint, and even like biophysics, if we talk about interactions between the virus and antibodies and, and et, et cetera, it's, it's, it's all very, very complex. Just that people understand that this is a little bit more complex than the kind of nonsense that our health authorities and public health officials are trying to make people believe. You just get the jab and you don't worry. You'll be safe. Mm. And you know what? Best thing is that you vaccinate your children as well. And, you know, you will be good. Right. This is, this is, you know, I mean, if they read my book, I'm curious to see how they will think about the whole situation. I never go, you know, into the direction of conspiracy theories. But what I'm saying is that here we are dealing with a combination of arrogance and ignorance, which is very, very, very dangerous, especially if you use this as an arm against biology, right? Mm. And for me, there is no discussion that we will pay a huge price for this. But the good thing is, of course, that I think the impact on the population, highly vaccinated populations, will be such that the future gen generation will be able to start from scratch again. They will have to build really from scratch, which is very, very tough. But we increasingly realize that so many layers of our society are now corrupted that I'm all, I cannot say that I'm looking forward to this, but there is a need. There is a need that we rebuild society on new val values, mm -hmm. integrity, dignity, a sense of community, and especially also humility, humility. What we have seen, you know, all these interventions by the public health authority, WHO, uh, industry, etc. It is just, you know, megalomania, just thinking we have the technologies, you know, we can control everything. And biology can be very insidious. And that is why people think now it's over. We have done good. We were smart. You know, we have done the mass vaccination. And look, people you know, or no longer like dying from COVID-19, is it? 
they don't know, these idiots don't know what is happening, you know, underneath no. the surface of you the world. You have a lot of contact with a lot of worldwide top scientists. Um, do you have a lot of scientists who agree with your point of view? You know, Stephen, I'm kind of, you know, in all modesty, etc. I'm, of course, a little bit unique in my species in a sense that I always told this, you know, I, I, uh, I've made this, this decision like 12 years ago where I was realizing that academia and even industry were not able to really bring solutions to complex health problems because in academia they are just living in their ivory towers, you know, just uh, being obsessed with publications, you know, because pub publications is, uh, yeah, is the door, you know, to climbing the ladder and uh, to make, you know, a uh, career, uh, to make, you know, uh, a fruitful career, let's say, at university. And in industry, the competition is such that they throw products in their pipeline and in their clinical studies that they don't even know exactly how it works. Uh, it's vaccinology is still very much an empirical business. And I got so fed up with this that I decided I would work on complex problems I would not be the key expert in virology, nor in immunology, nor maybe in vaccinology, but I would be able to bring these pieces of the puzzle together. And if needed, I know that through hard work and through a certain intellectual capacity that we have as scientists, I can take a deep dive even into the details, but I will only do so if I believe that doing so could bring a piece of the puzzle that is still missing and that I could, you know, that would help me to put this complex puzzle together. And that is simply something that so very few people are doing because if you look at the key opinion leaders, at the superstars in academia, even at Nobel Prize winners, they are all so very specialized in their domain. Look, one of the biggest mistakes is that, you know, when the pandemic um, started, they were saying, oh, this is a virus, so we need to have virologists on board. And look at all the crap and the nonsense that these leading virologists have been, have been talking. It, it is just stunning. It's mm -hmm. mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, immunologists were just barely involved. And, and again, those immunologists are then specifically, you know, specialized in their field. What do they know about population immunity? What do they know about these interactions, this interplay between the virus and, you know, the immune system, etc.? And it's not that I'm a genius. I had to learn this as well. But it's, you know, if there is one thing that you cannot afford when you, when you study these problems, and this has nothing to do with being a professor or a key opinion leader, etc., you ask the right questions. You, you continue to ask yourself the right questions. I don't need interviews or I don't need people to ask me the questions. I know that I'm a very critical person, especially towards myself. So I ask myself all the time these questions, very challenging questions. And then there is one rule. Never ever leave any stone unturned. If you cannot solve one of these questions, don't even proceed to the next step of your puzzle because, you know, it, it, it will fire back. 
And uh, so you have you have to you know to insist and to continue till you have really discovered the answers to to to, to your question. So it's 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 a very particular pathway that I've chosen. You know, I didn't make a lot of money choosing this uh, this pathway, but it is unique, and I think we need to rebuild reform whole academic uh, you know um, education uh, because we are putting tons of money in all these institutions and if you ask the question what comes back to society there is no return on the investment of society look I mean we have a pandemic and you know you see all these big stars being almost paralyzed by the situation and then simply endorsing what WHO is, it's like preaching, not based on any sound ground. And, and what, what industry is doing, industry, which is, of course, not bothering about your health, Dave. They are bothering about enriching the, the shareholders, of course. That is their business plan. That is their business model. That is what they have to do, right? So, therefore, unfortunately, there is very few peers that I can uh, discuss this with at, you know, kind of like the same level we are discussing. And it's maybe another, um, another um, effort of mine or uh, tentative to, you know, write this book and expose, expose this and offer this to people because they can understand this. They have, you know, the baggage to, to understand this. Uh, and and yeah, to share this in one way, in a way that I could not otherwise share this, because we don't get platforms where we can discuss this. We get censored all the time. We get ridiculed, and and maybe a book is a better way to do this. Um, but I say, my, as I told, my first goal was to document this. You know that it would be carved in stone. Mm-hmm. That some people, you know, have been really taking a deep dive in this, analyzing this, trying to put a piece of the puzzle together. And the puzzle is, you know, on uh, the cover of my book. Yeah, it's, it's symbolic. It's, it's pu- putting the piece of the puzzle uh, together. And that is, is a new way, I would say, for approaching and solving uh, complex problems, which we unfortunately um, do not learn in, in, in academia, despite the fact that some of these universities have huge reputations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there still a small chance that uh, your predictions, according to you, will not, uh, that it will not be the case, of, don't be that worse as, as you I- imagine? Of or course, Dave, I mean, of course it's possible. All I can do is that I bring the biological evidence together and I think, I, I know um, you have not a background in life science, but you will understand that there is one thing I'm sure you will admit after, because I know that you have also been, you know, involved in this since quite some time, that the this problem is very complex. It's a complex interplay and it is evolving. You know, when the definitions got changed of what is a vaccine, what is immunity, what, when are you vaccinated? Not after one, two weeks, after second shot, and all these things were continued, the definitions were continuously evolving. That was just reflecting how the virus was evolving. 
imagine. Yeah? Because the thing that they had expected was no longer working, like with a normal vaccine after two doses, you're completely protected yeah? and, and you could even protect against infection, etc. was no longer, so they had to change definition. The virus evolved, right? And so they had to change the definitions to continue to make people believe that the vaccines were, uh, were effective. So it's a complex interplay. It is evolving. It draws from different fields, even from biophysics, yeah? immunology, vaccinology, evolutionary biology, etc. Right? So you can imagine that if that there is not 23 ways to put the pieces of a complex puzzle together. And I could be, be lying with myself and say, you know, I find all the pieces of the I can I can tell you all the pieces of the puzzle that I'm putting together, if it is a piece of the puzzle of immunology, it needs to comply also with the other fields. It cannot violate the roles of the other fields. An immunologist could say this, and I would say no. The virus would not do this for this or this reason. Or a virologist would say, you know, the virus has this kind of strategy. And I would immediately say, you know what, a, a virus has no brains. All what a virus can do, virus has no strategy. All what a virus can do is replicate and mutate, right? And nature will select mutations that are favorable or not favorable, dependent on how the immune system is reacting, for example. See, so all this need to comply with each other. So I continue to say that the likelihood that you put pieces of the puzzle together in a way that is scientifically plausible and justifiable, there is no 25 or 23 or even three different ways to do this. So could I be wrong theoretically? Of course, I'm certainly not God. I can only say I've taken a deep, deep dive in this. I already had this multidisciplinary culture for the science before. I've been deeply involved also in the Ebola crisis where WHO made the huge mistake of vaccinating people during the incubation time because they started vaccinated people who had a contact with the index case. The index case is the first case that you detect. And then there is contacts, you know, ring vaccination. They started to vaccinate all people who had had contact with this index case. Not realizing that some of these people, because they had been in contact, were already incubating the disease. There is one like textbook recommendation, never ever vaccinate people that are in the incubation time of a disease. So that was a huge mistake that I already perceived and analyzed. Guess what? They are making another capital mistake, a textbook mistake almost. Instead of vaccinating people in the incubation time, they now vaccinate massively people during a pandemic, which is a context that we vaccinologists are never using for vaccination. Our vaccines can only protect people if we do it in a prophylactic context. If you vaccinate people and allow them to build full-fledged immunity before they get exposed to, to the virus or to the pathogen. That's why if you go, I, I gave this you know, example multiple times, you go to a country where there is an infectious disease you can, that is vaccine preventable, you will make sure your vaccination is completely you know, finished 
before you go to that country, right? Uh, do you have an example? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, all the all the uh, oh. the vaccinations that oh. you. Uh, uh, take cholera, etc. For example, no. when you go, uh, or or even you know uh, hepatitis B. For no. example, you start working in a hospital. People will say, "What's your titer for hepatitis B uh, antibodies?" Oh, it's too low, or you never got vaccinated. You first got vaccinated, then people test your titer, neutralizing antibodies. Okay, you are above the threshold. You can go. No. Right. I mean, this is these because are those, key principles that are no, violated because right? all those vaccines. You are a big fan of them. Well, a big fan of, 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 of course. I mean, uh, I, I'm not saying that there is not a trend to over-vaccination. I'm the first to, to review and, and, and to revisit this. But if we talk about, and, and again, again, look at all the childhood vaccines. The childhood vaccines work and they have saved millions of lives. There's no discussion about this. But if you look, these are life-attenuated vaccines. So what they do far and foremost is that they stimulate our innate immune system. I mean, why do you think that we are still, 2023, using life attenuated vaccines, a technology that is very complex? Imagine, you can imagine that your whole manufacturing process, your development, you're, you're working with living viruses. You need to attenuate them, not too much because then they don't work anymore. If you don't attenuate them sufficiently, of course, you are injecting the disease in people. So, and also from a safety viewpoint, you know, to the security viewpoint, it's complex, these technologies, right? It's like very old-fashioned technologies. Still, despite all the modern, you know, technologies that are being developed, mRNA, uh, vector vac vectorized vaccines, etc., DNA vaccines, we are still using these life-attenuated vaccines for our children. The reason is that they stimulate very strongly innate immunity. I'm the first to say that there is room for improvement because, of course, if you use this life attenuated vaccine in a child that has an underlying disease or genetically, for example, weak immune system, this life attenuated vaccine can break through and become virulent. So have there been casualties as a consequence of the childhood? For sure. On the other hand, have the childhood vaccinations allowed to fill up the gaps in herd immunity in populations that are, you know, for example, exposed to measles, etc.? Certainly, certainly. If you don't do this, you can have a whole layer of, you know, the newborns, for example. They have not been exposed to young children. And they can be, of course, they, they, they build a very susceptible part of the population because they have no immunity, right? So if we don't immunize them and close the gap of herd immunity, we risk, of course, we are at risk of having major outbreaks. There is no discussion about it. But again, you hear me talking a lot about immunology, a field that is and about innate natural immunity is completely neglected and ignored. Of course, you don't hear me saying that, you know what, we don't need to look for vaccines against TB or HIV or malaria. These are like chronic diseases. Chronic diseases can, per definition, they are chronic, they are not acute self-limiting. They cannot spontaneously be cured by your natural immunity. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the definition of it. But here we are dealing with acute self-limiting infections. That is also the reason why a pandemic 
of a virus causing acute self-limiting infection will also be self-limiting. A pandemic has these few waves and then it comes to an end because it is stained by natural immunity and natural immunity at the population level will generate herd immunity, which prevents the transmission of the virus and allows the virus to transition into endemicity. Right. Well, I think that was it's really interesting. Uh, then maybe um, what can you advise the people who took the yeah, vaccine for for against COVID, yeah. uh, because if you're right, they are in big troubles. Can they do something? Or Well, or? I've also described uh, in my book very clearly that, of course, not all, uh, we cannot put all uh, vaccinees in the same basket. And uh, some vaccinees will, despite a vaccination, uh, be protected still. We need to distinguish, of course, between, as I, as I have already been saying, people who have been vaccinated with mRNA vaccines. We also need to take into account uh, how many doses uh, people have gotten. And very importantly, we also need to see who has been exposed to the nat to natural infection before being vaccinated. Why is that important? Well, this is because people, you know, by having been previously exposed to natural infection, they can develop some kind of course of natural immunity that will, you know, help to protect them. Whereas as soon as you start vaccination, especially with the mRNA vaccines, It's also explained in my book how you sideline the innate immune system. So the innate immune system has no longer an opportunity to be trained. So then you can imagine these people have to completely rely on the vaccinal antibodies. When those don't work anymore, I thought, you know, that is the end. No, there are still non-neutralizing antibodies that are generated in people that um, have neutralizing antibodies that do no longer work. It's, it's, it's complex. So these are now protecting, as I was saying, on a provisional basis, uh, the, uh, the, the, the unvaccinated. But um, yeah, to your point, I mean, uh, having been exposed to natural infection before the vaccination has, uh, under a number of circumstances, an advantage. It all depends on how many vaccinations you got afterwards. It all depends on whether you were subsequently vaccinated with non-mRNA vaccines or with mRNA vaccines. So it's not like, typically in biology, it's not like it's black or white, right? And I'm um, summarizing in my book categories of people who got vaccinated that will certainly still be protected This is not to say that all the others uh, will not be protected, but, you know, you need to be very careful. Based on my understanding of immunology, virology, I wanted to make sure that if I put something in writing, that it is accurate and that I'm not kind of like saying these people, despite being vaccinated, will all be, be protected and I would not be 200% certain. Uh, what will happen to the others? It's more difficult. Uh, it's... but. For me, there is no doubt, Steve, that having thrown a bombshell on this natural equilibrium shaped over millions of years by evolution, that nature will reestablish this, but it will come at a price. And it will come at, you know, according to my humble opinion, a huge toll 
on human lives in highly vaccinated countries. Mm. Mm. And what can you advise everybody then? Because you are expecting a major crisis. Uh, how can we prepare ourselves if you are Yeah, right? well, you know, I mean, for the unvaccinated, uh, as I was saying, health-wise, I don't see uh, any problem, right? If they are in good health and they have been exposed, which is automatically almost the case for everyone. Uh, what I'm uh, very worried about is um, is the chaos that uh, will be generated, a chaos that will be initiated when you know waves of you know uh, severe disease uh, accelerated severe disease. I call it enhanced severe disease will start where uh, hospitals will be overwhelmed. Um, This will certainly generate chaos. Um, how we will manage this? Uh, frankly speaking, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's something that is completely unprecedented. And you know, you could say, well, here this is so unreal. But if there is one thing that we, you know, people who have been criticizing this, feel as really unreal, it's the fact that health authorities took the decision to mass vaccinate people, you know, millions of people with an experimental vaccine. And this vaccine, this was completely predict predictable, is now driving the virus to change, we call this its phenotype. The phenotype is the way It behaves in terms of its infectious behavior, the virulence, the way it is transmitted. So I'm saying, what is unreal? Because people are looking at me, Geert, what are, are you, you know, what are you predicting? And I'm saying, look at what health authorities have been doing. We have, they have set up the biggest gain of function experiment ever. It's not a gain of function, you know, in the lab of Wuhan or whatever. The gain of function is when you do a massive experiment in vivo on the very human species that you know is driving a dramatic change in the phenotype, in the functional behavior of the virus that I'm saying is now at high risk of evolving to a more virulent form of the virus. I mean, Stephen, this is just unbelievable. This kind of experiment, a mass experiment on the human species, that is the most unbelievable gain of function experiment ever conducted in the history of biology. And then, frankly speaking, don't be surprised that this will have massive consequences. I'm afraid. I'm, I hate to be the doom and gloom preacher. I hate this. But, you know, if I put all the scientific arguments together, and I'm not at all surprised, this is completely aligned to my predictions, is that now we have this kind of like silence, calm before the storm. Mm. Again, why the subtitle of my book is you know, society will be caught by surprise. And what was the, because we did not uh, discuss it yet, what was the title? Now you mentioned the subtitle. Well, yeah, the title, the title the is The Inescapable 
immune escape pandemic. Yes, I should have explained this. Uh, we discussed it before our yeah. interview, therefore. But um, so a natural pandemic does not breed immune escape variants. Of course, a natural pandemic virus replicates depending on what type of virus it is, a flu or uh, other mRNA uh, viruses will, of course, be prone to generate mutants, variants. That is always the case. But as a matter of fact, during a natural pandemic, it has never been seen that one of these variants that happened to pop up during the replication of the virus was able to supplant the variant or the strain that initiated the pandemic. Now, we have seen, of course, after the mass vaccination, we saw that beta, gamma, delta, omicron became dominant, right? In countries where mass vaccination proceeded, vaccinated large parts of the population, we had all of a sudden, you know, the original strain, the Wuhan, was supplanted by variants. And then uh, those were supplanted by other more infectious variants, right? This, we have never, uh, we have never uh, uh, seen this before. So that means that we are no longer dealing with a natural pandemic. We are dealing with a pandemic of immune escape variants. A pandemic of immune escape variants has never been described. It's completely unprecedented. And so that already... Reason, is yeah. that also sorry, the reason why in Africa there are almost no problems in the countries where almost nobody was vaccinated? Or is yeah, yeah, of course, of no. course. I mean, no. the, the, key word, the key word here is herd immunity. No. If you allow a population to develop herd immunity. I, just this morning, I looked at the curves for Africa. Mm -hmm. You see there have been a number of waves. And now, in contrast to our Western European countries, the industrialized countries, they are back to the baseline, just like a natural pandemic, right? You have the waves, high infection rate, and after the infection rate, you go back to zero. You can have another wave, but, you know, after a few waves, it calms down and you go back to the baseline. That is not cave. In our countries, we have seen several different waves, very irregular, never turn back to the baseline, and they started again the next wave, right? Very irregular. So an, um, an immune escape pandemic is already an unnatural phenomenon. This already suggests that there has been a major intervention into this natural phenomenon. And then, as I explained, with Omicron, this evolution of enhanced immune escape has become irreversible. I explained how through vaccine breakthrough infections, you know, the immune escape became worse, became expedited, became, you know, large-scale immune escape. So that I said, you know, when Omicron appeared, I said immediately, you know, even if we stop mass vaccination all over the world today, we are no longer going to be able to stop this immune escape evolution. Of course, in the countries that continue to mass vaccinate, that continue to give the boosters, that even included the children, it would go even faster. But the evolution towards, you know, a more virulent form of the virus would be inescapable. Therefore, the title, Inescapable Immune Escape Pandemic. Mm. A type of pandemic that has never been seen, documented, occurred in the past.
Okay. And then the new book is available, uh, your first book, uh, and uh, is available on your website. Uh, well, we will, of course, announce it on the website, but we will make sure that it is available through, you know, bull.com, usual channel in Europe, and then in the US uh, through Amazon. Yeah. We have, uh, you know, two different editors, one in uh, in the Netherlands, uh, Paris Publications, and in the U.S., uh, Pierucci Publications, um, yeah, who will help us. Uh, well, the, the book is in print as we speak, and uh, they will help us, of course, to, to distribute this and... Uh, yeah, we will certainly also uh, announce this uh, through very different platforms, the platforms we have mm. been communicating through, you know, during this crisis and the, the platforms that we have used to make, to warn people, uh, to make the information available. Uh, yeah, several different of these platforms and will help us. And should read the book because it's, it's, it's quite Hearts, I mean, uh, you have. It's a hard copy and an electronic copy. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the content is, is not that easy. No. It's, uh, you have to have a little bit of scientific background, I assume, or can everyone read, read it? Well, there are, of course, there is like the prologue where I'm describing why I wrote this book, why mm. I did this, right? Uh, I, I never had the intention to do this, but, uh, and uh, yeah, there is, of course, also. Um, the endorsements from several different people. There is the summary. There are the conclusions. Uh, there are. Uh, it is also my position towards. Without you know, I do this. I think in a very diplomatic way. How I'm evaluating the decisions and the reaction of uh, regulatory authorities, health authorities, WHO, etc. So these are chapters that uh, any you know lay people will understand. But. Um, yeah, the, the, um, several of the other chapters will be much more difficult for people uh, to understand. Although I think even if you read through this without understanding everything, even understanding maybe 20% of these more difficult, more scientific chapters, I think people will get a good understanding of the real complexity of this and the hypocritical attitude of our health authorities and WHO and, you know, making people believe that this is so easy and that the vaccines are so protective uh, and that uh, there is only one key message they should, you know, keep in mind, which is, you know, to get vaccinated, to get uh, their updated boosters and, and to get children vaccinated, etc. So this complexity, uh, any anybody will grasp. But remember, the main goal of this book is to document this with a scientific approach that is very different from the one you will see in publications. But uh, nevertheless, I've cited many, many references. These references are not proof in their own right. They're all pieces of the puzzle. And I help the reader to, on the journey to bring these pieces of the puzzle uh, together. So I think, I hope it will be very valuable for the scientific community. Uh, and I think for lay people, it will nevertheless be a unique piece of literature because I don't think in all modesty, I wish other people would also do this, that I'm highlighting a number of aspects of this pandemic 
that nobody has been highlighting, like the immunology, like the natural, the, 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 the incredible importance of our natural immunity, you know, that, uh, that uh, can be trained and uh, that is uh, so much more powerful especially during a pandemic, because it can generate what we call sterilizing immunity. Yeah. That is what you need. You need to be able to eliminate a virus, which the vaccinal antibodies cannot do. So there is, um, and, and also why uh, the mRNA vaccines are um, so much more uh, detrimental in terms of undermining the natural immunity, also in terms of expediting the immune escape. Even if people don't understand the molecular details of this, I think they will get a very good understanding. And at least, at least they will certainly understand that in reality, this is much, much more complex. This is even so complex that every layman will understand that it has been a shame that people who don't understand this are intervening at a massive level and using the human population really as uh, guinea pigs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it is, uh, it's, it's not going to be the Harry Potter bestseller. That is also not my purpose, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, for those who want to understand a little bit what is behind all this and why. There, because the, my book is very often structured. It starts from questions that people are asking. Why is this? Why? The many, so many questions that we, got, we didn't get any satisfactory answer to. These are, for me, the, 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 the stones that I don't leave unturned. Yeah. When these questions come, you have to try to find an answer. And to find that answer, you know, you cannot just pick one piece of the puzzle. You first have to put the piece of the puzzle together. Then you can find answers to many, many questions. So it is, it is a lot of reacting to questions so I'm, or, or statements that are made, you make statements, and then I'm developing the science around this or the science behind this. Mm. So, yeah, I hope that nevertheless uh, for laymen it will have some added value mm. as well. But, yeah, I'm, you know. So it, it is now your first book. You're 64 years old. Uh, what are your plans for the uh, next years? A second book or uh, will you now... Enjoy uh, your life and family. Yeah, well, and yeah, I will. You know, I cannot. I cannot predict these things. And um, doing, if nothing is uh, is, uh, is going to happen, nothing abnormal is going to happen. So I'm. I'm not panicking, but I'm certainly uh, preparing myself and my family for what I think uh, is going to happen in highly vaccinated countries. Uh, the chaos. The chaos. Right. And I think there is uh, yeah, an increasing awareness amongst people that we have to get back to some key values that helped us to build sound societies in the past, that have helped us to flourish as, you know, as nations, as societies. Uh, and these are very much, you know, the values that also somebody like Robert Malone is, uh, you know, uh, advocating for, like uh, yeah, dignity and uh, integrity, a sense of community, solidarity, you know, voice for science and solidarity. We need uh, to learn again that in terms of crisis, 
we uh, we can overcome this provided we you know we keep together and we try to do things together we do not have to rely on the services provided by the government and all these type of things because those may crash right we 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 have to learn this again i'm always saying solidarity helps you to overcome a crisis it's not going to help you to make an economy flourish but to overcome a crisis so that is what i will be myself uh, focusing on and uh, I will, of course, remain available to provide help and advice uh, uh, where I can. But um, it's a little bit sad to say, in my humble opinion, it's now really left to nature to restore uh, this this balance. And and that's why I'm saying I I uh, I want to be prepared to the extent possible without panicking, without being obsessed. Uh, a pandemic is always a crisis. It's just that by wrongly manipulating, we have made it much, much worse. It's mm-hmm. just we don't realize the bulk of the iceberg is under the water, as I was saying, but it will surface one day. And there, um, yeah, we need to be prepared. But I don't have any, you know, magic or silver bullet to say, people, that is what you need to do. Uh, sometimes I'm saying, yeah, you know, maybe uh, we should uh, we should go to Bulgaria, a why, country why? low vaccination rate. No. So if things happen, these societies will not will not crash. But for the moment, you're staying in Belgium, or yeah, well, if I would not, you know, have uh, probably uh, it's it's. It's very often because of family. It's it's difficult. It's difficult mm-hmm. to do this, certainly at my age. But if I were, for example, I don't know, 25, would not have uh, all these engagements. I uh, I I think I would do it. I think go I to Bulgaria it. or Africa or no. But remember, Africa. How do you get to Africa? No, you can go there before. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no. no, you could still go. Yeah. But you know, it even for me. Don't misunderstand me. Even for me. It's difficult to believe what I'm predicting. It's difficult. And sometimes I'm hesitating. And then I read my, like for the proofreading of the book, and I always come to these conclusions that this is so compelling. It is so compelling that for me there is no way around it. But even for myself, it's difficult to believe this. So... It would be ideal when these things start to happen because some countries will take the lead, unfortunately. I'm thinking of countries like Israel, for example, or Great Britain, or even the US. They have been very aggressively um, vaccinating their populations. They have been vaccinating, you know, huge amounts of people within a very short time frame. And then like in Israel, it's primarily mRNA vaccines, etc. You can imagine the the more you vaccinate people within a short time frame, the higher the pressure. The pressure comes from the population. But is the vaccination rate in, for, in, for instance, Belgium not higher than in the United States? But the vaccination rate in itself is not that important. It's important, of course, but it's essentially, essentially the speed at which you vaccinate. Before people could even get, you know, exposed to natural infection, for example. Plus, if you oh. vaccinate vaccinate a high amount of people within a short time frame, you generate a high pressure. The pressure comes from the population. If you vaccinate like 5% of the population, like in Africa, or 10%, that's barely an influence on the evolution of the virus. If now you pass on the virus to me, to anybody else, and they're all vaccinated, the virus is every single time under the same un 
favorable condition. And, and a variant that you pass on to me will, again, have a competitive advantage in my environment because I'm also vaccinated, right? If that is not the case, if there's only 5 or 10% of the population vaccinated, the likelihood that somebody passes on a virus to somebody who's not vaccinated is very much higher. In that person, mm-hmm. the variant that got selected in your body will no longer have a competitive advantage in my body. See, oh. so that that is an important that is an important uh, factor. So, but what I was saying, if you see this happening, and then you decide to make a move, it's no longer going to be possible because if we're talking about chaos, first things you know, ships, planes, etc., will be paralyzed. So it will be you will need to do this overland. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I try to to stay um, uh, objective and. Um, Kind of like, yeah, not cool, but um, panic is is is, is always. Uh, but is do you have fun. extra food at your basement? Yeah, or, but you know, or? I don't think that will be the major problem. I um, I'm essentially thinking of you know the healthcare crashing, mm. because remember, I mean, we all uh, more than we think rely on 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 healthcare, on doctors, on hospitals, on uh, even a small accident uh, could be a, a major problem. And then I'm also very worried about uh, maybe high mortality rates. That what will what will happen to uh, these corpses, for example, right? Mm. Who will remove them? Who will, you know, take care of this? And that is yeah, something I'm I'm really worried about. I, as I was saying, it's, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm also thinking here, what you're telling is uh, unreal, but uh, look, I mean, if you look at the book and uh, you will see that all this uh, evidence is pushing into the same direction. And it is a phenomenon, also citing that example, um, uh, these things have happened before in in the in the space of uh, animal viruses that w- a virus that became much more infectious and there is this saying which is complete nonsense that the virus becomes more infectious and therefore it will lose virulence it will become uh, milder now that, that is a completely wrong interpretation that is what happens during a natural pandemic because you know you have an infectious virus it spreads Population develops herd immunity, and that is what tames the virus. But there are examples of, um, especially with avian influenza, where the virus became more infectious and where this higher level of infectiousness led to a higher level of virulence. It's also described that this happened due, due to more a higher level of fusogenicity of the hemagglutinin, which is the equivalent of the spike protein in coronavirus. And also... You know, the fusogenicity is what is analyzed in vitro as a criterion, as a correlate for virulence. So we know that viruses circulating right now in vitro are already more virulent based on fusogenicity. But in vivo, because the vaccinees still have these non-neutralizing antibodies that protect them from severe disease, this virulence doesn't come, you know, uh, is, is, is not expressed right now, if you like. But if the virus will overcome this antibody resistance, which you don't have in vitro in the test tube, yeah, then we have the same situation. Eh? But, uh, I mean, this evolution towards a higher level of fusogenicity, this means fusogenicity that cells that are infected can fuse and they build syncytia. These are these 
big cells, eh, when several different cells merge, you have different nuclei within one big cell. And this is pathognomonic for severe disease. So uh, people who are looking at, um, you know, corpses of people who died from severe COVID-19 disease, that is what they typically see in the organs, the syncytia that have been built. So therefore they are pathognomonic uh, for um, uh, severe disease and they are the result of enhanced fusogenicity of the virus, which correlates with a higher level of virulence. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm still hoping that uh, you too, of course, that uh, you're not right. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course. Then I think um, no, we had a, a good discussion. Uh, I think people who are interested to buy your book can find the way to Amazon or Bol.com or to your website to to order it. Mm. Do you still have a last uh, message that you want to uh, share with our viewers and or listeners? Well, the, the message I would like to share is that uh, there is certainly at no point, I, I said this from the very, very beginning, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever and there has never been any reason whatsoever for, you know, vaccinees and non-vaccinated to discriminate one another. So uh, mm. there is no reason to avoid uh, contact or whatever. I think on the contrary, we need to do whatever we can to help each other. And I would also like to refer to something that Matthias de Smet is very often saying. We need to be very cautious, very careful that we don't start this mass fa formation amongst our group of the unvaccinated, so to say. So I think solidarity and, you know, is so important, not discriminate. And we, we will go through a big crisis. I mean, for me, there is no doubt about this. But the key message is that we need to do the best we can to help each other. And um, I don't know, maybe governments will realize soon enough that we have to distribute massively antivirals like ivermectin to people, you know, and get rid of all the taboos around this, uh, you know, o to prevent... Only the, the vaccinated? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, the unvaccinated... Don't need it. Uh, you know, this will be recorded. This will be... I, I've, I've said this at a big meeting recently at Stockholm. Mm -hmm. said, you know, this gets recorded, this... I'm saying that the unvaccinated will no longer suffer regardless of how the virus evolves, mm. right? This balance has been completely changed. Initially, the vaccinated were better protected against disease, etc. Now they are still protected, but this protection is not robust. It's now the unvaccinated that, thanks to their trained immunity, are developing very robust infection regardless of the variant, regardless of the variant. And I think we are already seeing this, eh, that more and more unvaccinated who get got regularly exposed and who are very much engaged in society, that uh, in fact, they, uh, they, most of them don't even develop any symptoms anymore. So, uh, yeah. So, but the key message is, I think, you know, like the website says, Stick to the science and and to solidarity, and yeah, we'll face a big crisis. But we we need to join our forces um, to 
to do the best we can to limit the damage. Yeah. No, that's a, a difficult message, but also I think it's good that you pinpoint the fact that there's too much polarization uh, and, and we have to stop that because everyone will, if you are right, uh, need yeah. each other um, if the, the crisis would uh, no, emerge. Uh, yeah, no. absolutely. No, thank you, Geert, for this uh, again uh uh, interesting, maybe not so positive, but uh, nevertheless interesting um, uh, chat uh, talk. Mm. Uh, thanks for coming to Complete Tankers. Uh, we did this interview today in in English, since your um, your book is in English, of course. Um, hopefully, it was not too difficult for too many people, but uh, uh, even in Dutch, it would be. Uh, it is a very uh, complex. Um, yeah, topic, but uh, I'm happy that uh, you came over and uh, and thanks yeah, for for coming. And I hope that your book, uh, although you don't have uh, you don't want to have a bestseller, uh, I still hope for you that a lot of people read it um, because I think uh, even if you're not right, uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, data that uh, needs to be understood uh, for for the future because uh, mm. even if you're not right it is clear that a lot of errors were made uh, mm. last last year's uh, scientific yeah. errors mm. even for me uh, mm. it is quite clear and I have no um, medical or uh, scientific background and um, mm. we have to learn for for the future yeah well, well, thanks, uh, Stephen, for in inviting me uh, again, and uh, thanks also for uh, helping to uh, spread uh, the word. That is also, of course, uh, very important. And as I was saying, um, we'll see, we'll see what uh, happens. But uh, try, uh, let's try to, um, you know. Um, make in some ways humanity great again and all together and uh, try to go through this crisis if it happens uh, together yeah thank well, you as well thank you Geert and also thank you dear uh, listeners and or viewers to have listened or watched our episode with uh, Geert van den Bossen uh, on our website, you can find all our other uh, episodes, mostly in, in, in Dutch. Uh, and you also can find there uh, ways to support us in order that we can make more content uh, as today. Uh, if you liked uh, this episode, please share it with your uh, friends and family and or environment. And I, I hope to see you uh, for a next episode. Thank you.